Scottish travellers are very ancient people, very, very old people um, with multiple parts to their identity. You know, this idea that to be a traveller, you, you travel, you know, is, is completely flawed. Whilst travelling is a big part of our identity and our expression of our identity, it's only one element. You know, I was asked by the media once, you know, but how can you, my mum and dad live in a house? I said, well, how can you be a traveller, you know, if you don't, if you don't travel? And I turned around and I just said, you know, there's so much more to our culture than that. We have, of course, our separate languages. We have our, our separate belief systems. We have our own ways of passing on oral culture, oral knowledge, and, and indeed, a lot of this oral culture that we protect is either unique to travellers or has been preserved from the settled community within our tradition. So, to be a traveller in a modern Scotland, in some sense, is to be part of a very, very ancient people with very old customs and very old traditions. Uh, even, you know, travelling to our camps, we'll travel to camps that some of us have been on for hundreds of years. Um, but in other ways, being a traveller in a modern Scotland is very difficult. Um, in, in a type of globalisation, of course, our cultural retention is, is getting ever more difficult. As development seems to be trudging on in most areas of Scotland, um, our camps are becoming developed on, um, our culture is being seen as outdated. So that can be very difficult, but the inequalities that we also face um, as a, a people marginalised and misunderstood um, of course causes a lot of issues and this idea of the last acceptable racism that young travellers have to face today um, makes it very difficult to be a traveller. So in short, being a traveller in today's Scotland is a privilege because you're part of a very ancient people with a very close connection to their history and their culture, but in other ways um, it makes you a it makes you be perceived as a acceptable target for racism and discrimination. And with with that kind of misunderstanding can come all sorts of negative outcomes, like uh, lower life expectancy or yeah. or poorer. So in terms of you know health inequalities, the health inequalities that travellers face are are massive. You know I mean. We have a, a low life expectancy, we have a lower life expectancy about at least 10 years. You know, some reports of course put us, for a, a traveller man, you know, put it in terms, for a traveller man some reports say that the, their life expectancy is 54. We have a higher infant mortality rate, um, we have of course um, much more issues in terms of um, long term health illnesses and long term health conditions tend to be we have higher rates of those within the traveller community as well, especially in terms of heart conditions. Um, but if you look at it more towards a young person's perspective, certainly one of the major issues for young travellers is mental health inequalities. Um, we have higher rates of depression, we have higher rates of suicide. Some reports put um, traveller suicide as high as six to seven times more likely than a settled person. Can you give me an idea of how many people we're talking about in terms of the size of mm -hmm. the population in Scotland so, and roughly where you might be finding those communities? I mean, in terms of where you'd find the communities, there's a, a large recorded community in the Central Belt um, and in the northeast of the country. But really and truly, you'll find travellers across the length and breadth of the country. I know travellers on the Outer Hebrides, on the Uists, um, right out up north to Thurzo and Wick right down into the borders, from the border gypsies, right up into Murray. The lead from bread for this country you'll find travellers. Now statistically there are around 4,500 travellers, Scottish travellers in this country. Um, but we know the statistics to be massively flawed. Um, 
Now, the primary reason for that, or two reasons for that, one of them is how the statistics are collated and gathered. Oftentimes, those mechanisms miss out traveller communities and they're not recorded. And the other issue is that a lot of travellers, for the fear of discrimination and persecution um, and, and prejudice, they won't tick the box on monitoring uh, forms that they are gypsy traveller. I mean, for example, my own family aren't recorded at all as gypsy travellers, and I don't know anyone in my family that is. I, th I think some, you know, I think what some people have said is that that is travellers being their own worst enemy if they're not ticking that box and things. What would I mean, you say to that? And what I would say to that is from my own experience. Um, I was registered in primary school in Edinburgh, and um, my mum and dad ticked the box gypsy traveller when I was about to school, and. Uh, the school had no interest in my education at all. Um, they, they weren't marking my work. And my mum, my mum and dad are very forward thinking. They're very keen on me getting an education. They always were. And um, they, they said, Ken, Dave, you need to be doing your work. And I said, I'm doing my work. My mum went to the school expecting them to say, well, you know, he's not been doing it. Um, she went to the school and the teacher said, I've forgotten to mark it. Mum said, well, it's been months. How can you forget to mark so much work? She said, I've had a lot on, I've forgotten to mark it. So mum gave her the benefit of the doubt and thought, well, maybe she has. So um, she comes back and she says, well, can you just make sure you're, you're marking it? Because I really wanted to get on. Another few weeks pass, no homework back. And uh, my ma then goes into the school and realises there's a problem with the teacher. She goes to the head teacher and complains. Well, the next day, a woman that mum was friendly with, a settled woman, um, comes from at the school gates and says, the teacher came out yesterday and uh, she was speaking to another mum. I don't know if I should be telling you this, but she said, um, I don't know why Mrs Donaldson's making all the fuss. I know that they're gypsies. He's not going to do anything with the education anyway, so why would I bother wasting the resources? So that is just one example. It's just one example, but you'll find that most travellers, the reason they don't tick the box isn't just because they perceive themselves to be a victim of discrimination, but rather they they are and they know from lived experience that if they tick that box they'll be treated differently. And indeed, the rest of my life uh, I didn't tick the box at all, went right on through school, had no issues, went to high school, no issues, and I'm at university. So, yeah. If we can if we can go back to what you're talking about with mental health uh, among the traveling community, mental health rates are not good and you've spoken before about transgenerational trauma. Yeah. Can you speak a bit more about what you mean by that? I mean transgenerational trauma of course it can, it can be caught up in the, the term but really and truly what it means is this idea that trauma is traditionally um, seen to be experienced by the individual uh, based on a lived experience that they have had and they have trauma resulting from that. But we now know and there's a significant amount of academic evidence that trauma can actually be experienced from um, second, third, fourth generation people who come from an individual who'd experienced that trauma. Um, and it has different ways of reproducing itself. Um, for example, there's a lot of research out of the Native Americans in, in, in North America, um, specifically of Cherokee. And we find that, of course, as a traditionally nomadic people, um, the Cherokee have a very oral history. Uh, and, and indeed, they pass things down orally through storytelling. Now, because they've got such an oral history, they pass on not just good stories, but stories that are negative in the community as well, or, or stories of negative experiences, primarily colonization uh, and colonialism. And so, with those experiences, young people who might not have experienced them firsthand are experiencing the feelings through the stories. 
and they're surrounded by these stories, they're surrounded by that experience. Now that's just one way that transgenerational trauma propagates itself. There's many ways of doing it and there's many ways that it happens. But I strongly believe that in Scotland, um, Scottish traveller people experience transgenerational trauma and that's what leads on to um, the inequalities in mental health uh, and, and indeed the coping mechanisms for mental health such as substance abuse. Um, and of course our own history of internal colonisation, I, I would say that quite strongly. Uh, some might say that it's the wrong word to use, but I think it's the perfect word to use. The idea of removing our children, forcing them abroad, the idea of making our language a punishable thing at school if you spoke our language. Um, the idea of tying us down and stopping us from being nomadic, making our traditional ways of life illegal, uh, to me that's colonisation. It sounds almost like, uh, because I feel we should be talking uh, or getting on to more quickly things like well, what do we want to have happen when a traveller presents with a GP surgery? How do we make that interaction better? But it sounds almost as if we need to take a much bigger step back from that and think about, well, if you were to have a mobile health centre coming into a traffic community, it doesn't mean they're going to go. Yeah. And vice versa, you might not have yeah. people willing to enter into those communities. This is a much less well-known about, but much bigger issue yeah. of marginalisation and that... I don't think it's very well known, but it's a very good explanation for why the interactions between the traveller community and the health service are not good, yeah. and they very rarely happen. No, definitely, and I talk a lot about stories, and it's important to recognise that within the settled community and the settled narrative, stories are seen as something to entertain, they're seen as something that you tell to children, they're, you know, it's a story, it's, it's almost got this idea around it as being, you know, something made up to entertain. Within the traveller community, stories are our bread and butter, they are the, the core to our community. And so stories, for example, of burkers, um, now burkers were people who were inspired, the term is inspired by Burke and Hare, um, but these were people right up until um, the 1920s, indeed my great uncle is still alive, can remember being chased by people. Um, basically these were people who travelled around um, and they would take and murder tramps, they would murder beggars, orphans, uh, and travelling people, because these people weren't recorded, they could go missing and no one would care. So what they would do is they would murder them, and then they would sell them to anatomy labs to research. For research, yeah. So burkers are a there's a lot of stories in our community about burkers, and there's a lot of stories about burkers pretending to be doctors. Now, whilst this sounds a bit boogeyman in the night, it is actually it leaves a lasting legacy with the community in terms of how we perceive medical services and how we perceive authority. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago for a community that you know gets sung ballads from the 12th century and you know lives and breathes stories from the 1500s. You know, the late 1800s, early 1900s isn't a long time ago for us. So, stories about burkers, stories about people take, getting their children taken away and forcibly sent abroad, characterise our relationships with the medical service, but more broadly, authority in general. I think that's a really really interesting point and very valuable information because if you are somebody who feels that the state is there to work for them you're much more likely to interact with it but if there is still a very visceral feeling of the state is against me why would you why would you interact so on a day-to-day -day basis what what would you like to see done to improve it's a very general question but improve the mental health of the gypsy community do we need to be the more traditional routes have been uh, advertising Samaritans or CV campaigns or things like that. I'm guessing this is something a bit bigger than... Yeah, so 
there's a number of ways I think the mental health within a community, especially for young people, can be supported and the inequalities can be reduced. Um, in one sense, I think charities, um, NGOs, you know, you speak about Samaritans, but for example, Childline, I was a counsellor with Childline for a while. Um, we need to start seeing these organisations who, who fill a massive gap that's, you know, provided, if we talk about CAMS, for example, waiting list for CAMS is, is unbelievable in some areas. So these charities really do fill a void. And if those charities don't exist, we have a massive void of support. And so for communities such as Gypsy Travellers who might not access schools, where a lot of these charities like Childline rely upon engagement with young people to talk about the service and to talk about how to access it, these communities aren't learning about these services. They aren't being engaged with through these services. So there's a void. So we need to see third sector take a much more proactive approach and engagement to um, seldom heard communities. We also need to see um, mental health. Like most communities, we want to see additional resource put into mental health. You know, it's, it's an area which is traditionally being under-resourced, but we know it to be a massive issue, not just for the traveller community, but for many communities. So it needs to be more resources. But we also need to start seeing uh, an appreciation of the intersectionality of inequalities. I was going to say, do we need to be going back to school here? Because I think if the kids would perhaps get their... I think it goes broader than that as well, though. I mean, when you talk about accommodation, travellers have an accommodation crisis in this country. And if you don't have somewhere safe and stable to live and you're always fearing eviction or you're always, you know, you're at the side of a road maybe feeling unsafe, how can you work on reducing your depression? Or how can you work on better coping mechanisms for your anxiety? You know, you can't do these things if we don't go right back to the very beginning and think, well, if you've got nowhere safe and stable to live, how can you think about these things later on? So I think we need to see the government take a proactive approach to the intersectionalities of inequalities to realise that housing issue, for example, isn't solely a housing issue, but it has a knock-on effect to many inequalities, including health. Um, and we need to see GPs as well take a more of a proactive approach. There's been some fantastic work coming out of the Scottish Parliament. There's you know, been some very common sense, very simple solutions, but solutions which will have a massive impact. Like, for example, um, CHI numbers getting passed out to people who are temporary, um, temporary registered at GP services. So the sharing of this data can be easily done. There's renewed effort from the Scottish Government uh, and local authorities together to reduce inequalities towards gypsy travellers. And I hope to see resources placed um, to, to further projects where community workers can be empowered and upskilled to help deliver health services. So that will both train health staff, professional health staff, but also allow for better engagement with communities and better access to service. Um, there's, there's examples of that happening in other countries. We see that happening in Wales. We see isolated examples of it happening in Ireland. Um, and I see that working really well in Scotland. Um, so it'd be nice to see some resource get put towards an action like that. So would you be wanting so people who are working, say, in the management of the health service and who are looking at putting together strategies and policies and the training documents for doctors and nurses and the, the rest of the multidisciplinary teams, we need traveller representatives within that? Or do we need those folks going into traveller communities, spending some time learning, realising what's going on, Yeah. that back in? I mean, we had a commitment from government, uh, of course, out of the NHS scandal last... Uh, was it the start of this year, the end of last year? Um, with the memo, of course, that got put out through 
um, the, the headquarters here in Edinburgh, um, there was a memo put out, uh, for those that aren't aware of it, there was a, a memo put out amongst staff um, which basically stated, because there was a traveller camp pulled up nearby, that they would be locking the car park. All staff had to remove their vehicles from the car park, so we're locking it. And if staff were approached by travellers, not to speak to them, to not engage with them, um, and to basically watch your belongings. So this was, of course, highly discriminatory, highly unprofessional, highly unacceptable. Um, it was leaked to the press. The press, of course, put it out. I gave a statement on it. Um, and it, it wasn't just embarrassing for the NHS, but what it showed was it showed this hidden uh, prejudice that, that really permeates a lot of the service. And so, of course, there was a, an action from that where the government announced funding for cultural awareness and it announced um, that the public sector would be better supported in cultural awareness around travellers and um, around reducing um, this prejudice that, that's still within a lot of service delivery. I don't think that can be understated, the importance of if you understand something better, even if it means you have to discuss what might seem some pretty abhorrent opinions, I think that does need to be, you need to get that out in the open, air it, talk about it, and then you can address it properly. Yeah, Yeah. completely. I mean, my, my whole work has the basis of social change one conversation at a time. I genuinely believe that the only way we're going to get to a national state of social change for travellers uh, and this removal of the last acceptable racism is through conversations. We need to have that dialogue because otherwise you have one narrative you don't have counter-narrative. And that's what's happened for so long and that's what's allowed for stereotypes of travellers to to become and it's also what's allowed for um, misinformation to spread and become almost perceived as fact. I think you've spoken very strongly and very well about that sense of marginalisation that travellers can have and I think almost that the general populace aren't aware of how they feel so they don't take it into account and then it's very easy to characterise somebody as well, you're the worst enemy. If you're not turning up here with your patient notes or you're not taking your kid to school, that's you know, your own worst enemy. Yeah, we need to recognise as a, as a state, as a society, that you know, round holes don't fit square pegs and that services that we've designed and this this can't be stated enough you know the mainstream services health service education service whatever service it may be has been designed with a settled community in mind it was never designed to be inclusive of travelers and of people who are non-static in residence because at the end of the day um, you know travelers are service users same as anyone else and indeed pay their council tax they pay their, their taxes the same as anyone else uh, so the service should be inclusive of them and surely we have the technology to do a lot with this now. It's not as if we're asking people to carry around huge documents with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the technology is there. Of course, the CHI number, of course, will will make that a lot easier. And the recognition and the guidance that's went out to all GPs uh, to, to to make them acknowledge, of course, and, and uh, the new changes that have came into guidance and to acknowledge that CHI numbers can be given to temporary residents where it applies, for example gypsy travellers um, and the fact as well that you know you don't need to be a resident in that community to be seen by a GP practice, you don't you know um, it's, it's, it's your right to be seen by a GP practice, they're allowed to prescribe to you and a lot of the times we've got this misinformation amongst local GPs um, and you have this disconnect with communication from the National Health Service directors if you like and the local GPs who are running it day to day uh, and of course a very stressful position to be in 
but what we need to acknowledge is that the health service is there to support and include all people and if the current mechanism isn't doing that we need to change the system. Mm, absolutely. Is, is that sort of stuff enough if we have awareness campaigns around with staff, we have proper training, is that enough that's being done on sort of that side of what feels like a divide? Or does there need to be more done within traveller communities? How do we bridge that gap? So there's been some fantastic work done in Edinburgh uh, around uh, breast cancer strains. Um, and they've actually went down onto the site at Cairntow uh, in Edinburgh um, and have been, have been working on that. Again, there's been some fantastic work uh, done in Argyll uh, where they've had traveller-specific meetings to talk about breast screenings with traveller women. So there is work getting done. It's not, it's not all bad. But what we need to see is this isolated good practice or isolated schemes that have been shown to be really positive and work, we need to see that broadened out to a national level to become standard practice. Um, I think that whilst the health service, the health service needs to work to become more inclusive, we also need to start thinking outside the box. You know, so for example, um, traditionally we would expect people to come to the health service to receive treatment, but if you take into the contextual um, basis of travellers, where you know the history of persecution, the history of um, you know marginalisation, we take that into account. It doesn't make sense to then sit back and say, "Well, they'll come to us." So there's a level at which it might not be the solution forever, but we need to have this transition period where we're really being really proactive, perhaps more proactive than we are in other communities, to engage with travellers, to build up that rapport with the service, and to, if you like, disentangle the history of persecution uh, and marginalisation from the health service. I think those who may put down that idea, if you're talking of, because it's expensive, it's, it's doing more for one community than maybe you are doing mm -hmm. for another, who may be experiencing uh, similar sorts of problems, but if you're talking about that as a transitional arrangement almost, not that I want to borrow a phrase from Brexit, um, but if it's a trans transitional phase that can make that big a difference and then you can almost go back to more advanced but normal practice. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's elements to it which would be transitional, and I think what we need to recognise is that in some ways, they're, 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 whilst we're in a, a budget-constrained environment, extra funding does need to be put into this. You know, you're talking about um, you know, supporting a community which has had little to no support for centuries. You know, it's going to take a little bit more funding to build up the equity to ensure that the community is on the same par with other communities because we're not quite there. That trust as well between the state and the community. And exactly, the it, it all ties into it, and I think, I think what's crucial is that some of these projects or some of these solutions, I suppose that I'm, maybe that's a strong word, but solutions that I'm proposing, they would be transitionary, they would be temporary in order to build up that rapport, build up that relationship, and disentangle the history. However, some of them would pave the way, I think, to be making a a more inclusive health service, not just for gypsy travellers, but for all communities in Scotland, and to be thinking, well, this is the standard way we've been delivering healthcare for hundreds of years. How can we maybe think a bit out of the box and make our way of delivering healthcare much more into the 21st century and more inclusive of the advances we've made in technology, the advances we've made in, in diversity, and the advances we've made in inclusive practice?